Welcome to episode 233 of the Winning Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello, Pez. <laughs> Just when you thought the books couldn't get any more into the brothers game, they added another brother. They've had a Zeller, a Plumley, now a Lopez. Um, they, they had both. Shannon and Sterling Brown last year. That's true. Um, it it seems amazing that they didn't find a way to get Costas. Doesn't it? All things considered, considering their Costas. I mean, I suppose they don't generally have two brothers on the same team at the same time. The the Brown brothers with the herd was the the only case we've had of that. But yeah, they they like these basketballing families. We can say that much. If you don't know and you're listening now, well, now you do know. But we're coming to you a little bit earlier than we planned because the books have signed another player. They've signed Brooke Lopez on a one-year deal at the biannual exception. That's $3.4 million. And yeah, Bay. Bay, Brooke Lopez will be a book next year. This is an incredibly interesting deal, and I'm not going to be coy about it. I think it's an excellent deal. I don't know how it could really be spun any other way yeah i mean great value signing 30 years old one year commitment at this moment uh even with ursan you know i'm very bullish on him playing a lot of minutes at the five but lopez kind of further reinforces the Questions at the center position that the Bucks are facing, and obviously we know all the consistency issues. And Tyler Zeller's salary is non guaranteed until, or his salary doesn't guarantee until January of next year. So they had to do something with uh, the, the center position, whether that was taking on a low risk, high reward. I, did, I didn't think they would. Did you think they would? It's, I know we could say no, they have to, I, I didn't. They have. Okay. I agree with that. I was I was surprised by this deal actually coming to pass. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the Bucks have had interest in him before, and if you remember the Bucks decision tree. <laughs> Has he played for us or have we expressed interest before? If the answer yeah. is yes, well then he's a target. <laughs> you know, that that is really I'm not gonna say the entire top process because that might but feed I, some stuff on from. I'm going to have to actually draw this so it 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 needs to be visualized. This this decision tree where it's just like one that just says yes, as he and then the other one just says, has he never played for the Bucks and has he never been a target? 
No. <laughs> I mean, I, I genuinely don't think there's a player who would fit that description on the roster. You know, anyone, anyone who doesn't fit that description was drafted by the books. It's a move that I, I think we can call a value and that can undersell it a little as well because Brook Lopez is really, really good if he can stay healthy. And I think that's important here and that's important when we're get into well why why one year why not try and get him for for more than one year why is he not the mid-level guy as opposed to Ursan? uh Prokopis has had a really troublesome history of foot injuries in the past although he's put together four last, pretty solid seasons now last four but, seasons he's played over 78 games so which is very, very reassuring in that regard you would imagine the foot may come into play a little bit more again as he gets older but you're talking about a center who has great size, incredibly skilled scorer in the post with the ability to extend out, can certainly knock down shots from mid-range, can knock down three-pointers. I mean, he's by no means really consistent, but I mean, 35%-ish last couple of seasons on a decent number of attempts. For a center and for a center of his size, that's pretty good. They're not generally the guys who shoot 43%. And someone like him being able to step out and shoot 35%, that's a big deal in comparison to, say, put John Henson there. You know, that's that 35% isn't insignificant just because it's not closer to 40%. That is floor spacing. It means that teams are going to have to respect him. And we've touched on it in recent episodes we've touched on it in regards to what may or may not happen what i think we both feel is increasingly likely with jabari parker but lopez further adds to the Ilyasova deal in terms of these are moves that very obviously very naturally fit a mike budenholzer team and if we're to imagine the evolution of the books under coach bud those two moves are very much in line with it i think there's other things too that are kind of we're talking about with it in that you know likely means jason terry's not going to be back now um they're bringing two veterans in this summer still but they're going to be much more productive than the veterans they've had and you look at the players who are likely going to miss out and likely going to lose their place in the roster because of these two moves i mean right now i don't think the books have lost a meaningful piece of their roster and even if they do, there's only one they may lose this summer. And I don't know, we could debate at this point the positives and negatives in terms of what it means as an individual versus as what it means for the books as a team. And with this, you're talking about a depth chart that was incredibly thin last summer, not last summer, in the playoffs, um, is getting not just deeper, but it's real quality contributors. You know, Ursula Yasova is a really good player still in the NBA. He is a good role player. Brooke Lopez is that and honestly can be more. And I don't know, maybe one of the downsides of this is going to be, well, what happens with Ton? Maybe that can help Ton. I don't know. There's other things that will have to kind of play out at the center position. We'll have to see what they do, how they approach that now. But Brooke Lopez is going to be the starter. I mean, uh, that's Chris Haynes noted that in his piece. Chris Haynes was the first reporter in ESPN. And um, let's see, to quote him exactly, 
Milwaukee is expected to pencil in the 10-year veteran as its starting center. Um, I don't know if everyone will be thrilled with that detail. That's not surprising, though, because I think that's how you get Brook Lopez on a biannual exception. I don't think he had a whole lot of fun with his reduced role on a really bad Lakers team last year. So I guess what would swing this kind of deal is, okay, you're a playoff team. Have you got a starting spot for me? All right, I'll take less money. I think that was the deal, and I think it's a great deal for the books. Yeah. I mean, we had a free agency roundtable before, right before it started. And what, I think the last question was, you know, what do you, what did you, or what are you hoping for for free agency? And obviously, I probably made some stupid joke to start it off. But my hope was uh, coherent moves and building around, uh, the vision of just maximizing Giannis, no matter what it is, um, and I we can debate about the value. We can debate about the draft uh, about the draft pick of Dante Divincenzo, but I think this offseason so far, obviously the Jabari question looms over this. But I think that I with Divincenzo, Ursan, and now Lopez, I I think the Bucks have really. I'm not saying it's going to be a game changer, but the fact that they have useful role players in the middle of their roster that can help them in a big way next year um, is going to be, <laughs> I mean, like we, we were talking about this for such a long time throughout the whole season is that you have guys like Giannis, Milton, Bledsoe is there, obviously playoffs notwithstanding. There just wasn't that like th- or four through eight, four through nine, whatever, like those contributors were pretty non-existent outside of like Henson but even then he you know kind of trailed off down the year the fact that they have these guys and they they all fit this vision of you know uh unleashing Giannis even further to what he can do um I mean I'm not saying this is a home run offseason but this is a very solid if not unspectacular offseason that the Bucks are having currently and it's a welcome sight to see I think it's also a really strong offseason from the point of future flexibility. I, I think this is being, you know, disputed by a lot of books fans. It certainly was before the, the Lopez deal came in. And I, I just don't get why. I, I don't see the problem in the two-year deal for Ursan two guaranteed years because it's going to clear off your cap at the same time all of the other kind of role players of his ilk will. And this is at the same time when you may be making your last big move, if you haven't already been able to offer and come to terms on a supermax with Yanis, you know, there's there's a chance that in the summer of 2020, well, okay, Urson's deal is non-guaranteed. Delhi will be a free agent. Henson will be a free agent. Tony Snell could be a free agent if he opts out of a player option. I mean, you're talking basically $40 million coming off the books the summer before Yanis could potentially leave, which is prudent. It's prudent to have that there. And something I feel strongly about, and maybe it's just the pure fatigue of it. They have made mistakes in recent years, 100%. The mistakes are made, though. Everything can't be measured against the mistakes. They've got to try and get out of that the best they can proactively. And this summer, they've got two really good contributors, Lopez can be a free agent again next summer, so you're not having any long-term kind of salary tied up with him. He could be a player that you wish you had longer than that, but you weren't going to get that at this deal. And 
Ursan isn't going to be there any longer than all of the other guys who you likely want to get rid of. And who knows, maybe they get out of Henson before then, or Delhi, or Snell, whatever it is. Maybe they find other ways to create space. But I can see in their free agency signings some real logic and a future that doesn't necessarily include them being just in salary cap hell. Not just long term, but before Yanis hits free agency, which is what's actually important here. Um, they've made mistakes. They could have been in a better position now. They could have been playing for better players now so that things are much more comfortable towards when Yanis could hit the open market. That's done, though, and it didn't happen. So now they've got to try and salvage the best they can and make that work, get really competitive, get competitive enough that they could win a series because, I mean, the first thing that's going to matter if, if they don't win a series between now and Yanis free agency, Yanis is going to be gone. So they, they have a kind of really fine line to to kind of tread, to balance on, and in trying to be ultra competitive, improve the team, having very limited options with which to do so, not get tied up in further salary cap hell, which as difficult as it is, I mean, they could have done that in some ways this year. They managed to do all of that about as well as I could have hoped for. And that is really encouraging to me. Like, for example, just so you can quickly plot out, plot out kind of paths to future moves even. Say if Brook Lopez plays really well this year and that works out. If they don't bring back Jabari Parker or if Jabari comes back, signs a qualifying offer and is going to be an unrestricted free agent next year and you don't have the intention of signing him long-term then, which I don't think it would matter if you intended on it or not. I think if he signs a qualifying offer, he won't be interested. But let's say that scenario plays out, which I know for a lot of Bucks fans is something they don't want. It wouldn't trouble me all that much. And it clears a path where, okay, you, you're going to look to sign Middleton's new deal. You're probably going to bring Malcolm Brogdon on a new deal. And you're going to have your mid-level and you're going to have room to be able to probably get a, get a full mid-level in again next year where if Brook Lopez has a good year this year, maybe you could get him on a mid-level for a deal. Not dissimilar really to what Ursan signed this year. You know, you, you have options open. It could be someone else. You can play around, look for value. You may be a much better team in a situation closer to contention. Um, I wouldn't say contention at this point, further changes need to be made, but closer to contention that maybe someone could be a little bit more tempted to do that. I, I just, I think there are options there for them. And we've seen, we've seen moves that aren't hurting them in any way. And I think are actively helping them. They'll help them on the court. They're not bad deals by any stretch of imagination. I, I couldn't have asked for a whole lot more than this, this summer. I mean, when I when I was going through and we we talked with some of these before free agency started, when I went through biannual options and I went through mid-level options, Ursan was in biannual, Lopez was in mid-level. Okay, they've switched those two around. That really upsets some people. It doesn't bother me. I mean, clearly Lopez was available at the biannual. They've got Lopez at the biannual. Ursan was in demand. I fully believe that. There are reports that indicate he was in demand. And one of the teams who may have been motivated to bring him back quickly was a team who had the funds to do so at a similar level, and that was the Sixers. If the Sixers wanted to bring Ursan back, they had the money to do so. We 
I've already discussed this, but I don't think his signing is some sort of it's it's not a flippant move. They haven't just gone, oh, we kind of like him. Let's sign him at 12.01. They really wanted him. He was a top target. Feel about that how you want, but he was a top target with the options they were going to have in terms of just dealing with exceptions, with his familiarity with Bud and the system, with how he could fit with Yanis, how he could offer them depth at the power forward spot, which they didn't have. There were a lot of reasons why signing someone like Ilyasova made sense. They decided he was the guy and they paid him and they paid him a deal that is like $13 million over two years. And people are still going crazy over it for someone who has been very productive is a very good positional defender and can contribute offensively. And I've, I already have tweeted this out, but I think like your off season is whatever way you want to look at it. They've, for just over $10 million next season, they've added Brooke Lopez and Ersan Elisova. You can disagree with what way they've done that, but that's just hypothetical. It's purely guessing at this point because we can't say, oh, why don't you sign Ersan like a week later? We, we have no idea that Ersan would be there a week later. And a lot of, a lot of the rumors, the speculation surrounding him before free agency and after the deal was signed with the books suggests that you know what he wouldn't have been there i'm not i'm not seeing any real issue with that i think the two of them combined are really good value for capable contributors who are going to transform the roster now when we say that what do we talk about are the books a championship team this year no they're not they're likely not the next year either they couldn't do anything about that this summer. They've made mistakes that have left them in that spot where that road is a little bit longer. And I don't know if anyone's looked out west. I think even if they'd done better, that road would not be quite as uh, quite as speedy otherwise anyway. But there is going to be a little bit of time into in getting back to that point. They're not doing themselves out of that right now. And their priority has to just be to be better. They're in a dramatically weakened Eastern Conference. They're a team who are underachieving to begin with. And if you look at the moves that they've made overall, and let's include Dante, I'm not big on that one, but hey, he's a draft pick. He hasn't even stepped forward in the summer league court as we record this. Maybe, maybe that works out great and we can all be happy about that. A lot of people already are. I'm not so confident on it, but overall, I think if you're to package the deals together, I think... Have they got better this summer? Yes, they've got better. They've got better. They haven't made the long-term situation worse. I don't know what people were looking for out of a biannual exception, a mid-level, and some minimums. That's that's what their options were, and this is what they've turned them into. It's a job well done for me. It's a John well done. Well, yeah. <laughs> On the on the overall picture, are you equally satisfied with that? Do you do you agree with that? I mean, I, I I'm not sure entirely what the expectations were for how much more they could have done, and we're like we're always this is the books, so it's always a situation where any deal that comes out that's good value, everyone is gonna rush to Twitter to say, oh look what they could have had when it just doesn't work like that. 
And a great example of that is not every other team could have got Brook Lopez if the deal the books had just got him at. They have the right situation for him. They're a playoff team in the Eastern Conference with a clear path to a starting spot, so he'll take less money. You just can't look at every deal as if it's the same and as if your team could get them. Sorry, Jordan. No, I, I remember after the whole. Don't, uh, was are you saying Demarcus Cousins? Did anyone well, did anyone is... really do that? Did any books fan was there a books fan stupid enough to think that was realistic that that would ever have been an option? Adam, it's free agency. The every Bucks fan, myself included. I honestly didn't see that. I didn't see that. I, I saw a lot people, of stuff. At I least I saw. I, why did they at least re- reach out to them? There was no way. I mean, this is. I don't know. If the books all... reached out, if if and they they couldn't have done this, but if the books reached out, if they could have and said, "Oh, hey, Demarcus Cousins, uh, we'll give you fifteen million this year," he would have taken the five point seven he took and gone and played for the Warriors. He has no interest in going and making a little bit more this year on a team that isn't competitive. He decided, "Oh, hey, um, no obvious starting spot." Money, more money next year. People are concerned about my injury. Uh, let's go win a championship, take some decent money, and worry about this again next summer, where hopefully, there's no guarantee on it, but hopefully he'll be in a better place. If anyone thinks the books were going to get the Marcus Cousins at that price, I mean, come on. Come on, Jordan. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, well, I am... You were. Yeah, you did sure, say yeah. that. Anyway, I'm we're, saying we're getting that, sidetracked in the things that the books couldn't do that that you know is is held up, and these moves are measured against. Which, in reality, for what their options were, the moves are pretty good. And yeah, there's there's not a whole lot more to ask for than that. Let's talk about Lopez a little bit more specifically and his his fit with the books. Um, he. Played a career low minutes per game last year, I want to say. 23.4 minutes per game with the Lakers. Played in 74 games, started 72 games. He, from my memory, even got some weird spots in the rotation in terms of where those minutes came from. And of course, that was because the Lakers had very different objectives than getting the most out of 30-year-old Brook Lopez. So even at the... You're talking about a guy, though, for 36 minutes who averaged just under 20 points per game, 6.1 rebounds, 2.6 assists, while shooting 46.5% from the field, 34.5% from deep. I'm pretty optimistic about this. I mean, first of all, if he was what he was last year, I think that would be a big upgrade to the books, considering their options. I think when we look at the kind of center he is, if it's a need, not just in talking about a center, they don't have a center in his style. The Greg Monroe departure got rid of an offensive-minded center who could really do anything at that position. The closest the books had to an offensive-minded center was Tom, and that was only because Tom helped to unlock everyone else's offensive abilities as much as being able to do anything on that end by himself. Brooke Lopez is a guy who's going to have multiple 20-point games this year. That's who he is. That's who he's been his entire career. Um, a lot of them have come against the books in recent years. He's been a something of a books killer from my recollection over the last two or three years. That is an interesting wrinkle to begin with. But then you have 
okay, well, you've got someone who has got real size and is actually, for someone who isn't the greatest defensively, he does block shots and he does alter shots at the rim. Um, positionally, maybe not the greatest, certainly not the most fleet of foot. You're not going to be asking Brook Lopez to go and switch out onto guys on the perimeter, but you've got center with good size that alongside Giannis can make for a pretty imposing duo. Giannis will certainly help him out in that regard while being able to offer a post game on offense and also the ability to trail and knock down mid range shots or trail and take shots from three point range, leaving more space for Giannis to work inside with all of that. I mean, this is a, this is a really obvious like Budenholzer fit. This is uh, Mike Muscala, Dwayne Deadman, um, go back further Pardo even. Antich. Sorry, Pardo Antich. Pardo Antich. Um, even a lot of what Al Horford did for him. I mean, you're going to get those kind of plays, those kind of looks, and it will make the books a lot more interesting offensively. I think we are guaranteed that anyway, but he should be a new weapon in the arsenal who unlocks even greater options for them. And it's, it's still, it's again, I mean, say if Ton did end up starting for the majority of the season or if Henson ended up starting, I mean, they've gone from their just complete lack of depth in the front court and their lack of any interesting options last year to, if that was the case, okay, well then you can bring in Urson and Brooke Lopez off the bench they're two capable players who can actually do things for you. I mean, the the upgrades overall in terms of what a five-man lineup could look like for having them there, most uh, most books bench lineups, if they went pretty heavy on the bench, they were short of two guys, really, who were, you know, really kind of on their game, still good enough to offer meaningful production in the NBA in 2018. They don't have that problem anymore. And combining that with the fit and just, I think the overall the overall improvement of what they have to offer, it's interesting. It's something different. It's something they didn't have last year. Yeah, I mean, they've really covered their bases with versatility, with obviously different front court options. Um, and as we talked about, you know, whether it was through the draft or even you know free agency previews. The Thon development is such a big undertaking that they have to kind of, you know, they, they want, they hope that everything pans out with him or that he becomes some useful role player, but you still have to kind of, uh, you know, address for the now in terms of, you know, contribute that you're not making that much, a, a large commitment to them. Um, you know, that ties up your flexibility and all that stuff. Obviously, you could debate if er that Ursan is that type of player, and obviously Henson and pass moves. But um, I mean, it's not just the scoring or the even like you know the added wrinkle of Lopez being a three point threat now. I mean, they're having him for like you know beyond necessary or not necessarily being in the second unit, but playing with second unit players to kind of be a scoring hub when possibly one of or both Giannis and Chris are off the floor. That is huge, especially with the minutes, you know, the workload that they had last year and, you know, pretty were unscathed for, for the most part, obviously Giannis had a couple of his, uh, 
one game, two game absences, you know, with ankle rolling his ankle and obviously the knee issue that loomed over the whole season. But that in itself is such a big thing that, you know, there's again, I just keep going back to this coherency of, of how this roster is being constructed with the limited resources that they have available. And that's such a, that's a very big thing. Obviously this is wishful thinking. We don't know how it will play out. Um, but at least for the time being, I mean, they have really covered their bases in terms of just kind of all areas of the roster. And it's, again, welcome to see. Well, I think the thing with Lopez is his offensive versatility gives them the freedom where if Giannis goes to the bench, you could have him play as more of an inside presence at Middleton on the floor leading it. He could work in the post and you're maximizing spacing. Where if Middleton's on the bench or it's a lineup where Giannis is in as well. You can ask him to step out to the perimeter more, whether it's three-pointers or even some mid-rangers shown in there. You're creating more space for Giannis to work with. And the fact that he can do both of those things, there aren't a whole lot of big men in the NBA who can do that. And certainly that were available to the books. I mean, even other bigs that we like this summer, that, I mean, books fans generally like this summer... They don't give you that. Like, I'm trying to think of anyone, really. DeMarcus Cousins is your only answer, and we've already been over that one. But, for example, Kylo Quinn, who signed a really nice value deal. Did you say Kylo? Like Kylo Ren? No, I said Kylo Quinn. I mean, we can call him (laughs) Kylo either. Um, Kylo Quinn. That was a nice deal. Good for the Pacers. The books are better off for Brooke Lopez on his deal. Like it's not it's not remotely close because the fit and for how Lopez can fit into what the coach will want to do, what best suits the book's best player, there are more ways he can do that. And I, it's that's not to say that in a vacuum I wouldn't prefer Kylo Quinn. I said it purposely quick that time, Jordan for you. Um at a at a similar price to 30-year-old Brooke Lopez with his injury histories, but this we're not in a vacuum. The Bucks have one of the most specific situations in the NBA, and that's with all of these moves. I mean, you watch kind of salary amounts come in, and particularly with a team like the Pacers, who have made some nice moves, also some not-so-nice moves, I'd say, but they had cap space. So your options are just infinitely more open because – it's not even about the amounts you can sign these guys. The books only had limited ways they could do that. They could have split their mid-level, okay? They could have maybe got a little bit more out of something if they split their mid-level. But otherwise, you're talking about they had the biannual, they had their mid-level. And let's be real, splitting their mid-level didn't give them anything unless they wanted to give someone maybe a little bit more than the minimum at, at the low end. Or if they just didn't want to give anyone the mid-level, kind of come close to having three biannual exception guys. I mean, these are the options that were there for them. They didn't have the luxury to go, um, you know, we'll pay you five million, Brooke Lopez, and we'll pay you five million, Ersan and Yusova. They, they can't do that. And the way the market has fallen and the way they've obviously played it, Brooke Lopez falling to them at the biannual exception is a big deal. And it really, really worked out very well for them. I'm I'm very interested to see what's next. And I think that is our that is our big question, our, our big questions now, because obviously there's 
well, the books have four centers. And I mean, we're saying they have four centers. That's without factoring in Ursan could play center, Yanis could play center, Zeller's non guarantee. That may become relevant. If it does, well, that really will solidify the trade for him as an unbelievably bad trade. I mean, it it may not mean that it's not the best thing to do when the time comes for them. If they can't get off Henson, and you'd rather not have all of those centers, that may be the thing they have to do, but it would be saying, okay, you know, we messed up on that. We've now got to move on. I think the one thing with that that's probably worth noting, um, Zeller is very tradable. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I don't I don't think they I don't think they would wave him. He is very, very tradable. So maybe you could get something back. Maybe you could get back what you sent out, basically. Um I, I don't think that's out of the question, but they may have to consider that with him. I'm sure their preference is, oh, let's let's trade John Henson, but I'm not sure there's gonna be a queue for his contract right now. I'm I was gonna go into the next part. We'll do the next part in a second. Start with that. Start with the center. Log jam now, um, which I guess we had a log, log jam, jam. Center, uh, some points last year, then we had very much not a log jam, and it's kind of it's been one or the other. They've never just had the right amount of centers over the last few seasons. It's either been the books desperately need to find some centers, or they've got way too many centers. How do you think it's going to shake out? What do you what do you imagine them trying to do? And how do you think it will shake out? Um, I mean, you know, I think they'll want to move either one of Henson or Zeller. Um, but I would bet on Zeller being... I mean, Glass have full thinking of Zeller's package in some trade, maybe not Jabari-related. You know, obviously there have been some whispers about Eric Bledsoe, um, you know, or them being willing to move Eric Bledsoe. Who knows? But... I, I think either way, it, it just seems like, you know, Tyler Zeller is not long for, with the Bucks for in any capacity, um, just do, solely based on his salary not being guaranteed um, until January next year. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think I don't think they're going to be getting off that Henson contract just yet. See. I wonder if they wait too long on that, but then, you know, you don't know what you're going to get in free agency. You don't know what offers are going to come up around the draft. I I think Bledsoe may have been enough of an asset to convince a team with cap space to take Henson. I think that is long since gone, though. I'm not, I'm, I'm not for a moment suggesting that would be a good move for any team to make, but I don't think that would have been impossible at some point. Now, I mean, who are the teams who can do that without you taking back really meaningful salary? And it would, you're then having to find just the right combination of one-year guys, which if it's one-year guys, you're taking or you're having to part with draft picks. And that's still a messy business because of what you owe the Suns. So, yeah, I ideally they, they move Henson, and that's not even because... Uh, Henson can't contribute. It's just because that's freeing up more space next summer. Um, I think more realistically, though, they wave or hopefully trade Tyler Zeller. And I think you should be able to trade him. Jabari Jordan. 
I mean, uh, as, as it stands, we're looking at about eleven point five million, I believe, without going into the tax that that could go up to close to fifteen if they waived Jennings and Zeller, which they certainly will waive Brandon Jennings, I think. Um, what was that they move his guarantee date to September? <laughs> <laughs> Where are you at in Jabari? Where are you at in Jabari's future? I mean, the the one thing with this is. It is in Jabari's hands. It's, it feels like it's more in Jabari's hands at every passing day, just not at the kind of amounts he would have wanted it to be, because I don't know who the teams are who are interested at all, who are going to trauma bone, going to help him out in this. And I include the books in that. I really, I really don't believe the books are all that interested. And signing Brook Lopez only further suggests that to me not because it's any kind of positional crossover but because again lopez makes a lot of sense for mike budenholzer team like Ilyasova did it's showing some sort of strategic approach some sort of planning in mind for how they want to play and whatever you're thinking you're getting out of either those two guys i don't think you're getting it quite the same out of jabari yeah i i mean uh I just, I'm, you know, I keep thinking about this situation and I just don't see why anyone that is hopeful that he returns, maybe not hopeful or thinking that he returns, whether it's like a qualifying offer or something like that, like a one year deal. I don't know. It's just, uh, I, I think the case, like, there's the obvious teams that have cap space still. I mean, Bold are technically in there even after the whole Levine. Uh, they're not really. They're not. I don't think they're going to do it now. I don't I mean, think they're going to do it, but they're still theoretically there for with cap room. And Kings are now reported like they have been reported. He's as, a he's a power forward, and they don't want to disrupt their development with right. all the players that they have. So that leaves with like the Hawks, which you know, it's not happening. That's not happening. Uh, Nets? Do they have much money? I mean, that's the thing. It's like it's going to be I don't like think a they weird... do even. I don't, like there's so little. Um, yeah, I, I think there. Look, there's two things because there are a lot of people still, and I've got quite a lot of mentions. Anytime I do tweet anything, it's not even about Jabari, about the books at the moment because the next follow up from a lot of people is, oh, and now when they just get Jabari back on this deal, and I'm kind of just politely not replying to them because you know i don't think that's what they should do it's certainly not what i'd like them to do i don't think it's what they want to do because the reasons the reasons being put forward are oh well give him a look under a new coach bud can bud can fix him he can't i mean when we talk about all of the players who are perfectly suited to what Bud and his staff did in Atlanta. Jabari doesn't fit that mold at all. There wasn't there wasn't a guy who just couldn't play defense. Um, had something of a an inclination to feel sorry for himself, get down on himself. No one like that went to Atlanta and got turned around. What they thrived in is underperforming players, undervalued players significantly improving their play, improving their value going forward. Jabari and Dennis, Schro- and, and, and Dennis Schroeder. 
Uh, I don't. I don't think they got anything out of Dennis Schroeder, which would only further strengthen. That's the joke. My That's argument. Joke. Yes. Um. <laughs> That's one element, okay? You could say, oh, with a good coach, maybe. The thing is, the good coach that the books have got, Jabari is the last player who fits what you can imagine him wanting to do. So unless they're just so desperate for talent that they say, we just can't give up on this, I don't see it happening. And honestly, I don't think they are that desperate for talent. They're less desperate for talent this summer, less desperate for talent even right now after signing Brooke Lopez than they would have been last summer, for example. The other part of this is Jabari, there's no way he's going to be happy with the resolution of this if he's back in Milwaukee. There is just no way. He won't be happy that it's gone this long. That will players take that as a slight, even with more straightforward situations. He took it as a slight already. He took it as a slight last summer. He's certainly going to take it as a slight when Ursan Ayasov and Brooke Lopez are signed before him this summer. And he's gradually seeing, oh, the amount the books can offer you is shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. Like, it may well be a leverage play on Milwaukee's part to say, oh, well, this is all we can offer you and no one else can offer you anything. He's not going to like that if that's the case. It's easy to go, oh, great for the books. They get Jabari back on a good value deal. Jabari has shown himself to be the guy you don't want back on a deal if he's going to be incredibly unhappy about it. And his role is also being reduced with these moves. Brooke Lopez may not necessarily seem like someone who's going to eat into his minutes, but (laughs) him and Ursan combined, I mean, are you playing Jabari at the tree? Are there... Like, you're never going to play Jabari with those two guys at the same time. I, there, There isn't an obvious spot for him anymore. It's not about his talent, unfortunately. It's There's so much else involved in this. It's gone so far beyond that. And that's even, you know, without, without kind of uh, getting into the assumption that his talent is still what we would like to imagine it as. Or it will be what we hoped it could be. And there are so many risks involved that it's a really difficult one for the books. And with every passing day, every passing move they make, I think he's just stewing. He's stewing. He's not going to feel any better. And the situation is going to be worse next year. I think he'll be back next year. Right now, I think he'll be back next year. I think he'll be back on a qualifying offer. And I don't know how well that will go. But the books may be in a position, and certainly with their moves, they've probably shown him as well yeah we're in a position where if that doesn't go that well with you we don't care it it won't affect us like that's that's another part of another piece of leverage they now have over him that may open up a path for a nice you know multi-year deal at low cost i don't think you want jabari on a multi-year deal like we talk about ways where they've opened up cap space, where they'll have some space next summer to take care of the business they'll have to take care of the following summer. They may have some meaningful space when they need to make one last move potentially to, to convince Yanis to stay. You know, do you want to bring Jabari back to eat into that? I don't know. I personally would say no. There are a lot of people who still believe in Jabari, but I, I don't see the reason to believe in him because we've said it before, he could be really good with a fresh start if things worked out. 
but I don't think the books can ever offer him the same situation that that fresh start would. The books can't necessarily put him in the best position to thrive right now. And with that in mind, if you can't do that, if you can't get the best out of him, why are you going to tie up money and pay him? It's the writing is very much on the wall for me. I mean, I think the chances increase of them. Maybe they decided to move on and they may change their mind as the summer goes on because they'll say, wow, no one wants this guy. What can, what can we get him to agree to? But I, I still think they just need to be incredibly wary of multi-year deals. And I even think with the discount um, for all Jabari's I wish in terms of the, the deal offered last summer, I mean, if Jabari was offered something six seven million per year over three years he's not going to sign that i really don't see him signing that he's going to sign his qualifying offer and bet on himself to go and make considerably more and what he feels he deserves next summer even with his injury history i think that's what we're going to see so it's it was a complicated situation to begin but i mean we've been talking about this for weeks now we've we flagged it up I don't know how many times. We both landed in the same spot on it, where, which we've discussed lots of times now at this point. But with every move, it just seems less and less likely that he can come back. And more importantly, and maybe the biggest reason why it should be less and less likely is, it seems less and less likely that you can find a deal that makes both parties happy. And the books certainly don't want to be on a happy party in a deal. And I don't know if they should want a piece of Jabari if he's going to be the unhappy party in it. It feels like it's time to move on. And that could be really grim for Jabari this summer, considering how everything has played out if that was to happen. Could be really grim for him next summer either. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... I think we have the answer to the question and somehow we keep asking, can this be salvaged as some... Uh, I, I agree. We keep asking as much as anything because I think it keeps being asked. I, everyone else is still talking about it. Uh, you and I have our feelings on it, but clearly everyone else doesn't feel like that. And I and I've been sure this before. I understand. I understand reason for the attachment to Jabari and the reason why you may be invested in him. I just think weighing up the pros and cons suggests you know <laughs> the cons are much much more significant, much more plentiful here where it's not worth your while. So the, the conversation keeps coming around because I think everyone's having it. Every books fan wants to have it. Everyone who covers the books are everyone who just covers the NBA more generally. Anytime the books make a move, the first thing that we're seeing at the moment is, you know, what this means for Jabari is this. I, I do agree with you. I think it's in front of everyone's eyes and everyone just keeps choosing to ignore the fact that Jabari is not at the forefront of their minds this summer. Yep. You know, you can you can come to terms with Jabari on a deal on July 1st and not sign it until later, like we're seeing with these other deals, to give yourself the flexibility that you can order things in the right way to bring you to a point. Now, obviously, the apron is a factor here as a hard cap, but... I mean, those limits are those limits are known at the early point. So your plan could be: we want to sign someone at a full mid level, um, we want to sign someone at the biannual exception, and we want to bring Jabari back on this kind of deal. Let's offer Jabari this kind of deal. If he says yes, we'll hold off on him signing. He can agree to terms, and we'll sign it in a month or so. Maybe that happened. Maybe they tried that approach, 
And he said no. So they've just carried on with their business otherwise. Like, we don't know that. And they are the only team who, for quite a while, have been able to talk to him if they wanted to. Like, there are plenty of, you know, impending free agents. Paul George is a very notable example of a guy who, um, well, we saw the video footage of Sam Presti visiting him, then working through everything. And he was having a party ready to announce his decision before. Scared money don't make money. <laughs> yeah. Um, With it not being done at this point, it says something. There's heels dug in, potentially on both sides, but it's not going to work out for Jabari. He's not going to... If he's complaining about his role, if he's complaining about his minutes, if he's complaining about not getting an extension last summer, how is that going to be better this year when he didn't get any more respect? In fact, he got less respected free agency. And I mean, if the argument is... Okay, they can waive Zeller and Jennings and they can still pay him 14 million per year. And if you think that's a good idea, I I don't know what to say. I mean, that's the path to ruin. That's that's the path to Yanis is gone two years from now and you're still paying Jabari, you know? That's you don't want to get in that game. But yeah, we could be talking about this for another month. It's possible. Oh, I'm fully prepared that we will be. <laughs> I'm I'm not. I think it's going to... I mean, the Lopez move brings it a step closer because roster spots are running out. Options the books have are running out. Like, they're pushing him closer into a corner where if there are still active negotiations, and that's an if, I like, there's not a lot there. It's either this is what you're taking or see you later. It's getting... It, it has to be getting to that point if a decision already hasn't been made that, you know, we don't really care if he's back on a qualifying offer. Okay. Otherwise, yeah, he can go. So we'll see what happens. And I, you know, away from this, right. And away from the, the books element and the books negotiations, if Zach Levine got an offer sheet, like he got Zach Levine also had his injuries, not twice like Jabari, but also torn ACL concern. If he got an offer sheet like that and Jabari's still sitting there twiddling his tomes, if Kyle Anderson got an offer sheet, not an offer sheet Jabari's going to want, but if he got one relatively quickly and, you know, all of this stuff, it's, it's, not, it's not helping the situation. It's not going to make Jabari feel any better about how his free agency is going. And the biggest party he's going to blame for that, it's not going to be himself. It's going to be the books. Whether it's true or not, he's going to blame the books, not just for not offering him something, but for the rest of the league not seeing value. Well, what's that going to come down to? My guess is he'll feel, well, if I've been given the kind of role I deserved, if I've been given the kind of spotlight I feel I earned in the playoffs, this might be different. I mean, the reality is his play generally spoke for itself. There were moments of brilliance. There were plenty more moments that were troubling or if not troubling just average fine promising considering his injury but not enough that you just you know push everything aside and say okay we're all in on Jabari Parker because he's about to hit free agency and he needs to prove his worth none of that is on the books it's it's been a whole lot of misfortune for him but it's brought him to this point and 
there's not a lot he can do about it, unfortunately for him. Um, yeah, we'll we'll continue to talk about Jabari. I'm sure there will be some details at some point soon, and we'll You'll let us know. We'll be all over it. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna move on. We're gonna do a few mailbag questions, Jordan. We haven't had a mailbag in a while, so um, we will take a few on this occasion. The first one from at Ethan Books. Should we expect 17-18 Lopez or 16-17 Lopez? Did he lose a step last year, or was it just his role with the Lakers that lowered his production? Um, Knowing my usual fence-sitting, I'm going to go somewhere in the middle. <laughs> um, I would probably lean more towards 17-18 Lopez, just because, you know, it's not just the step it's not the lakers role it's that you know he's going he was coming from a nets team where he was like the main scoring option to a more uh how would you describe the lakers there wasn't like a go-to scorer it was like a egalitarian is that the word i guess i don't even know if it was really egalitarian as much as I think they would have been happy for any one guy to go and put up big numbers. They just wanted it to be one of their young guys. It's just nothing was nothing was going to be molded or shaped towards Brook Lopez. You know, he was yeah. not the priority. Um, egalitarian, relating to... Or I'm not saying egalitarian was wrong. I'm just saying I don't think that was their general... I don't think they would have had a problem if Brandon Ingram was putting up 25 points per game, for example. They would have been fine with that. They would have been not so fine if Brook Lopez was doing that and Ingram and Ball and Kuzma weren't getting touches. You know, I think that's that's really where his role, like he was on the floor, but yes, he was much less featured than he was at Brooklyn. Now, in Brooklyn, in his last two seasons, he averaged 20.5 and 20.6 points. He's averaged over 20 points four times in his career. Um, averaged over 17 points eight times in his career, he's not going to do that. So I think he can perform at that level, but it's not going to be like for like production because the books aren't going to want to go to him that much. I mean, he could perform at a similar level for 36 minutes and play lesser minutes. He could drop off a little bit because his usage would be lower, but be equally efficient with the opportunities that come his way. He doesn't he doesn't need to put up those numbers with the books because if he was, you'd be saying, Okay, this is this is well and good, but would they not be better with Yanis doing some more? <laughs> with Chris Middleton doing some more? I, I'm there's nothing wrong with having a player who has a track record of being a 20 point per game scorer. Because if knock on wood, injury strikes at some point, or if even it's just guys are taking a break you know you're you're able to trust your bench more within a game well if he can shoulder that kind of load that's great and i i think with ilias ova as well um that was something I, you wrote a great article on how they may use him at the center and how that could help Giannis. the other area where it really helped Giannis is he has a real backup again potentially so if that's the difference between playing 38 minutes and playing 34 minutes in just random games or 30 or 32 minutes, that all adds up at the end of the season. That all adds up come playoff time. So I think that's equally significant there. And Lopez 
plays into that too. The more capable players you have, the less like you shouldn't have two of both of Chris Middleton and Giannis in the top five, top ten in minutes per game. You know, with more capable bench players, you can afford to give them just a little bit more, and those marginal increases and in rest should make a difference in the greater picture. The next one from Joe Sterndorf. How much would Ursan get if the books hadn't signed them at 1201? What would you grade this offseason so far if they had waited and gotten Ursan at just one year? Um, I, I mean, this is just pointless to me. It's pointless. We have no reason to believe that Ursan wouldn't have gotten more than a year. In fact, it's very likely some team would have given him two years. Um, some team would have given him exactly the contract that they got. The point that I feel is most significant here is the books wanted Ursan. That's what we know by them going and signing him at that time. They wanted him. So whatever their plan is, what he can offer from the bench in kind of fluid lineups within the rotation, that's something they're valuing. So they wanted him. So why would they wait and get someone else at a similar price, a slightly discounted price, wait and see him snapped up. If you're signing someone that early, what it means is you want them. They're not your second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth choice. They are one of your priorities. The books wanted them. They signed them at a deal that is not bad. It is not a bad deal. It's said three years, 21 million is what everyone has gone with, where it's two years, 13 million, really. Like if if you want to treat it as if it's flat, it's not. There's increases, but you're talking six point five million a year, and he's going to come off at the same time as most of the other role players, all of the guys you'd essentially want to move right now. That's not problematic. I I don't have an issue with it being two years guaranteed. I don't have an issue with it being a twelve oh one signing because what that means is they have a plan. If that plan is just completely awful that's when you make a decision on that but judging what they're doing by making Ursa Nisova a central part of their free agency plans with their exceptions now makes no sense to me particularly when we have a new coach there'll be a new system on both ends of the floor it's just completely it's just really trivial to kind of get into the 1201 part of it the one thing that that tells you is they wanted him they didn't want someone else. They wanted him. So why are we just going to dismiss before he suits up and we see how they want to use him? Why or why not they should or shouldn't have wanted him? You know, uh, I don't know. Does this conversation happen with another player who isn't Ursan and the bag is just there? What do you think about that? Is this is part of the the kind of fixation on the timing? And it was, look, it was speedy. And he's not the player you make a speedy deal for like that generally. But they did that because they wanted him. That's that's all we can really tell from that is he was their guy. I don't know if it's different if he's not Ursan and Isova and there's not already this feeling of, oh, well, this is what he was and what could they possibly do with him? I think as an off-season grade, I'll go currently. I'll give it a B. Do you not agree with that? You're ducking any sort of meaningful conversation here. You can't... The the timing of his signing 
is irrelevant until we see why he was a priority for them. Does that not make sense? Am I? Am I... I'll take potent potables for two hundred, Alex. <laughs> am I like? Am I speaking a different language here? Does that not make sense? If if someone if someone's being signed that quickly, you've got a plan. You've got something you want to do. The plan could be awful. I I will not dispute that. But if the plan turns out to be awful at the time, we What's go. The plan? That was a bad plan. They've really made a mess of this. Wouldn't be the first time. Wouldn't be the last time. But it's just kind of to to focus on that element of this, and many people are. It just kind of does away with everything else that's been this offseason. It does away with the fact that, hey, there's a new coach who might like certain players, might want to do certain things, and he only has very few means to add to his roster to tailor the team towards those particular elements of play this summer. So if he felt Ilyasova fit that on both ends, and you don't have a whole lot of ways to make the changes you want, to tweak the team to what you want to do, well, then you sign him. It's not like he got $12 million. Like, he would have got the mid-level. I really, I don't know what the big deal is. It's certainly not the deal itself. I mean, it's important to remember, this time last year, we were talking about Derek Rose possibly coming to Milwaukee. So, um, yeah. <laughs> From a brew TK, does this mean we won't be signing Alex Lan? No. It doesn't? Or, I mean, sorry, yes. It means that we will not. Yes, it definitely means they won't. Uh, which we will not be stealing the sun's sunshine. Which is cause for celebration, if you ask me. Um, <laughs> from at IEL Yatsi, will Bucks win in five with this signing? Um, maybe, probably not. It's helpful. I don't know if anything can be that helpful. The Bucks win in five will be more down to coaching than anything else. That's that's my opinion. If the Bucks come out of a series generally, I don't think they necessarily have to win in five. If they get to the second round or beyond this year, um, the biggest thing I think that we'll be pointing to will be coaching for the improvement. From at Crum underscore Wilson, any thoughts on Henson getting packaged with Jabari in a sign-in trade? I think Jabari should go West Coast and we get a wing and a second rounder back. Maybe Utah for Alec Burks or San Antonio for Danny Green or Suns for Dudley and Daniels or Clippers for Tobias Harris. I, I don't hate the thinking here. I don't know. I, I'm not sure how realistic any of them are, particularly getting a second rounder back when you're sending John Henson's contract with a player who has extensive injury history and a sign and trade for Jabari. The thing with that is you're sending Henson's contract and you're going to have the value of Jabari's next contract because there aren't teams with cap space really left. I mean, there's very few teams where it's a sign and trade where you're not going to have to take back more than just those guys listed with Jabari and Henson. So it's very, it would be tough to package Jabari and Henson I mean, is it worth them trying to do that? Sure, but to sign and trade Jabari, someone has to want to sign Jabari. <laughs> I mean, that's honestly that's where we are right now. There's nothing wrong with and to trade for Henson. Someone wants to trade for Henson, which is you know 
Yeah, and they want Jabari so much that they feel they have to take Henson when that's clearly not the case because you can just offer more than the books can afford and you get Jabari without another bad contract. Yep. Yeah, so it's it's problematic. I mean, the idea of getting a wing in a Jabari sign and trade, forget the Henson element. If some of those teams were interested in Jabari and you can work a sign and trade, maybe you look at some options like that. But I think getting into, oh, Jabari and Henson, no, that's not happening. I think more realistic is if the books are out on Jabari and they're going to move on, if they can get a contributor back for your sign and trade, well, that's better than just not matching his offer sheet and letting him walk and not having flexibility to go and do anything else. From at Alex underscore Koenig 023, more likely to happen, books win a title before Yanis leaves or retires or summer league championship this summer or next. Summer League. 100% Summer League. Very good chance the books don't win a title with all of this is said and done. Very good chance. Incredibly good chance. I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but <laughs> this is a team that hasn't won a playoff series in <laughs> close to two decades. So there's an excellent chance they won't win a championship. You know, championships are hard to win and they're not getting any easier to win when you look at all the other trends around the NBA. So all the books can do is keep trying to get better, hopefully get to a point where you can make a really serious, meaningful improvement that can put you into a different category where maybe you're closer to contention down the line. Um, but as it is, I mean, in an Eastern Conference, that isn't exactly daunting. They're better this year. And I think they underachieved last year. And if they can put those two things together, they should have better seeding. They really should be winning a first round series. And then they can take their chances beyond that. Like we saw, okay, a Kyrie Irving or not a wait, yeah, a Kyrie Irving less Celtics, a Gordon Hayward less Celtics, but still a Celtics who got to the conference finals. Bucks pushed them to seven games. All you can do is get as far as you can and see what happens. And it's not like the East is just impossible. I mean, the Celtics are the clear best team, but if misfortune falls their way, if you get some really good momentum, a good run going, everything's in play. And then, then you're in a best of seven series for a championship. I mean, that's, that's gotta be the book's approach with this, not just next season, but going forward, they're not, they're not close to a championship, but they've got to just get themselves close enough that if one magic season happens or if all the breaks go their way for once, which I mean, with the book seems very unlikely breaks all going their way, you can take advantage. Uh, from at Taftonator, what does this mean about Henson? Could we see a trade with Henson in the near future to get rid of that bad contract? We certainly could. Not sure how likely it is. More, more because they'd have to package assets with it. They don't have a lot of them. They don't even have a straightforward route to trading them, such as first-round picks. More likely trade is Eric Bledsoe. I think most likely trade, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You agree with that? Yeah. I think he's the one they may just be motivated to move, see if they can get anything back. 
Um, you know, maybe you, maybe you move Bledsoe and you get, I think it's asking a lot, but maybe you get a pick back for Bledsoe that then frees you up being able to move Henson using that pick. I I think something like that may be your best chance at moving Henson may come from moving Bledsoe. But I, I think Bledsoe would certainly be the most realistic trade to begin with. And one that they should and probably are considering because he's certainly not when you've got next summer coming up and maybe they do bring back Jabari and then you're going to have Middleton who they 100% want to bring back. We know that right now. Of course, that could change over the course of the season depending what happens. But right now, he's their guy. They want to bring out Brogdon, you'd have to guess. Bledsoe is not going to be at the top of the priority list. From at real underscore MR Hagedorn, Alex starts by hoping that we're having an enjoyable summer, Jordan, which is nice. Thank you. Yeah, don't don't, don't laugh. That's nice. I mean, (laughs) the idea of having an enjoyable summer until the books get all of their business out of the way is, you know, it's challenging. But, um, that's a nice sentiment. It's it's going okay. The World Cup's good. Um, Alex's question, combining this deal with the Ursan one, about $10 million for the two of them, averages out to pretty good value, right? Sign a trade for Jabari and Henson incoming. Well, I mean, we've kind of talked about both of those things. I, I say yes, about $10 million for the two of them is good value this year. When I say I say that, I have literally said that. I've tweeted that. Um, sign a trade for Jabari. Uh, I don't know. Don't again. Someone has to want him, and if someone wants him, they don't need to do the sign and trade necessarily, as much as the books would like it, unless they just have a bad contract they want to get out of. And if if that's the case, why do the books? It would have to be a really specific situation. And right now, we don't really have any situation to even project it into. It's a really difficult one. Lastly, from a Chak B94, does Brook Lopez's mediocre rebounding concern you? Do you think he'll be able to guard and beat? Will a rotation of him and Ton be the spacing center rotation the books need? Um, let's go through them one by one. Does his mediocre rebounding concern you? I don't think I'd describe it as mediocre as much as, cons- as inconsistent because he has had some good rebounding seasons, and he's also had some really bad ones. I don't know. I, I think Yanis obviously had a really great rebounding season last year, and I don't think Brook Lopez would be a downgrade in rebounding terms on any other center on the roster. So I think a Yanis-Brook Lopez combination should be better at rebounding than any other option they would have had. Um. Yeah, the numbers aren't, you know, prolific or anything like that, but he's kind of like his brother in that they generally rebound well when they're on the floor. It may not be going to him, but he creates enough space and just kind of disrupts. Other... That's, a, that's a really good point because there was that, wasn't it? A, there was an episode of the Breakaway, uh, Breakaway podcast on Robin Lopez, which focused on, for example, how well he boxes out and how yeah. well his teammates rebound alongside him. Which some of that, I mean, he has. He's had a couple of seasons where he's averaged 
comfortably over seven, a couple where he's averaged over eight rebounds per game. He has had good seasons, and then you look at something like the last two years where it's uh, 5.4 in 29.6 minutes per game with the Nets, 4.0 in 23.4 with the Lakers. I, I feel there's ups and downs there, and it very much depends on the situation. And some of that we may just have to find out. The situation could be good for him in a rebounding sense. I mean, we have to remember too that you know. I don't know. Go on. The Bucks are a terrible <laughs> rebounding team, so anybody that can help them, you know, whether it's not, not or if it's not like outright pulling down rebounds, uh, getting a uh, getting just a big body like Lopez. Ursan should also help in that. Right? Yeah, Ursan definitely include included in that too. And even I think Dante should help compared to some of the guys they would have had in his minutes if he gets minutes. I think overall, they I'm not more Sterling that. possibly too. Yeah, absolutely, really good rebounder as a rookie for his position. I I think overall they're not going to be a good rebounding team all of a sudden, but they've certainly improved across the board. I think with rebounding this summer. Um, what was the second part? Do we think he'll be able to guard and beat? No, not really. But then, who can? Does that matter? Like it is that if the Bucks were matched up with the Sixers, is that the Bucks' best chance to beat the Sixers to get into a game where you're worrying about Embiid? I'd argue it's to get into a game where the Sixers have to worry about Embiid defensively, and obviously he's a great rim protector, but you can test him defensively. Um, I think certainly with Giannis you could do that. Giannis and Lopez, if Lopez is spacing the floor, that could do that. Giannis and Ursan could do that. I think if you go small you'll force the Sixers into some tougher decisions than if you try to match up with Embiid. I mean, is there is there a center in the league who match up with him? I mean, Rudy Gobert? I don't know. I, it's it, the, the way to beating the Sixers is to bring Embiid out of his comfort zone rather than to try to beat him in his comfort zone, I'd say. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and last, last part of that, will a rotation of Lopez and Tom be the spacing center rotation the Bucks need? It can be. Theoretically, yeah, it can Ursan. be. Ursan too, yeah. Um, who knows if Zeller's around. Zeller shot it in Brooklyn, and I feel like Bud would make him shoot the tree. That only leaves Henson as the only the only center who just doesn't shoot. Although, who knows, Jordan? <laughs> I feel like if Henson's around, Bud will make him shoot. So you got that. a lot of JHJs last year. Yeah. Okay, that is it. As if for us for now. Um, we won't be away too long. As we promised at the end of the previous episode, we'll be back to talk about Summer League. Yippee. Um, before oh, yippee. the books enter competition play, we'll recap their first three games and look ahead to what's coming up. I, I'll... I will double down at this point. This is dangerous because they're about to play a game and they're playing a team who could be very good and may make me regret this, but I will double down on my, I think they're a very good summer league team this year. Could do very well in summer league. Unfortunately, what we've already learned is that doesn't make summer league any more entertaining, but I don't know you can do about that. Sacrilegious. We'll be back though, likely on Wednesday. That episode will will post, um, where we'll talk about all of that. So you can look forward to that, or 
I mean, not look forward to it. It is about Summer League, so I won't blame you either way. In the meantime, make sure you check out all of our work on BehindTheBookPass.com. We'll have further reaction to the Brook Lopez signing in the next 24 hours or so, and beyond, I'm sure, over the course of the week. So there'll be plenty for you to read there, as well as all of your coverage of Summer League, too. To make sure you catch our next episode and all episodes of the Win 6 Podcast, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher, favorites and tune in radio. You can also follow us on Twitter at Win 6 Podcast. As always, thanks to all of you for listening. Jordan, thank you. Thank you.